So after being there in China for close to a year, I started getting calls from my sister that my mom wasn't doing well and she was in and out of the hospital. Um, my mom had some health problems since middle school and it just kind of persisted and just got worse and worse from college until when I was living in L.A. And my mother was always in the hospital for something. Like I had some jokes my mom like <laughs> in the hospital she would go to. They have all these plaques on the wall for people who've given so much money. I was like, Mama, they need to put a plaque on the wall for you <laughs> because you're giving this hospital so much money, man. And you need to have a plaque on this wall. She thought that was hilarious. But it's true. My mom was in and out of the hospital so much that it became pretty normal for my mom to be in the hospital. Anytime a person's in the hospital, it's serious, but at the same time, it's like, all right, I'm just there again. So my sister was calling me. I was in Zhengzhou in China, and I was like, how is mama? And normally my sister would tell me, oh, yeah, she's not doing so well. I'm going to go see her, go check her out, this, 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 that. But one particular night, my sister said, no, mama's cool. She ain't nothing, mama, mama all right. Mama, mama's fine. But the way that she said that, I knew my mom wasn't okay. So once again, this is a true story. That night, I had such a feeling that something was really wrong with my mom. But like I said, I started to really enjoy and love the process of being in China. Even the teaching, and even though I left L.A., I just, I really loved it. So I didn't really want to go. So I was thinking, okay, if mama is not well, then I'll go home. But if she's just her normal struggling with this and that, I'll just stay here. You know, I'm leaving a whole nother country. Like, and I'm not going to L.A. I'm going to Michigan. So it's like I'm too spread out, man. It's just it's a lot for me to, to do all of this stuff. So, but that night when my sister said my mom was fine, that's the first time, like, in I, I don't even remember my, my sister saying, like, my, nothing's wrong with my mama. As a matter of fact, my sister always thinks something wrong with my mama. <laughs> even when there's nothing, like, there's something wrong with your mama. <laughs> you know, girls always got to fight. So, anyway, um, that night, I said a strong, straight, direct prayer. I said, I don't know what's happening, but if something is really wrong with my mom and I need to go home, please make it where there is no way I can stop myself. I'm going to go home. That's what I said that night. <clears throat> this is true, true story. At the time I was in China, I was on a F visa. Now, I don't want to get so much into F visa, but F visa is just... Every three months or something, you have to leave the country for a couple of days and come back. So with with having an F visa, it wasn't so bad because the school paid for all these trips. I went to Korea. I went to Thailand. I went to Hong Kong. So And it's paid for. So you got to go out of the country for a few days. And it was like these three-day paid trips around Asia, right? So it was not so bad. But for some reason... 
um, something went wrong with my visa. Now, I'm the person who had everything in order, so there's no reason for my visa to be denied. So the day, the morning after, I told you I went to school really early. So I get to school about 6.30 or something. Normally, there's nobody there. Um, but this day, there was people already there, right? And there was this new girl named Lisa. And she didn't know me so well, so she was so careless. She didn't care whatsoever, like, about feelings or nothing. So I get to the gate, and I'm just getting ready to go in, and it's normal. And she's like, no, JJ, you, you can't come today. It's like, what? Yeah, you, your, your visa is not, not okay, so you, you can't come in here. You got to go back home. It was that cold-blooded. I'm like, what the hell? So I'm like, what, 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 what? <laughs> I'm so confused, man. I'm so confused. Like, what, what, how is my visa? My, for, for nine months or something plus, my visa has been fine. Suddenly, my visa, is, there's a problem? What the... So I'm thinking this chick is new. She don't know what she's talking about. So I call my guy Raymond. He's the principal. He's the main dude. He's, he owns the place and he's the principal. And I got a great relationship with him. So I'm like, Raymond, what's 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 going on? Like, yo, JJ, yeah. So so the visa is not, so, yeah, it's, she's not wrong. <laughs> she, yeah, you can't teach here anymore uh, right now. You, you can't. So <laughs> I'm like, what the? This is a true story. Man, this is exactly how it played out. So I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And I'm thinking he's going to give me some ideas about continuing on. It's not even about the job or something. It's like I really started loving what I was doing. And he was like, well, this is what we can do. We can pay for you to travel around uh, China or Asia for a while, or we can pay for you to go back home. This is... <laughs> Now, listen to this story. Forget the fact that the night before I said this prayer, that if something's really wrong with my mom, make it where I cannot stop myself. I don't get in the way at all. Just make sure I go home to, to take care of my mama. No, she's more important than anything. Even though I'm spread out all over the place, I don't care. If I need, if my mama's not well, I want to go be with my mom. I forgot about that prayer. Like, I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that at all. I was just like, yo, I'm a person. I'm a little spoiled. I can't lie to you. I'm a little spoiled. Everything I want, I always get it. That's just that's just true. That's just that's just true for me. I and I was, you know, since you're little, you get protected. When you play sports and you do it well, you start to get spoiled a little bit, you know? And then you move into a Hollywood type thing where everything is you get spoiled a little bit. And then I'm me, I get charisma and People like me and stuff like that. So I always get my way. Like I always, I don't get rejected. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't. I don't get rejected. I even, even, now I'm not trying to sound like the coolest dude in the room, but I don't even, re re okay, rejected. Have I ever been rejected from a, maybe there's a couple girls I liked or something and it didn't work out, but I don't know if I was rejected. Like, hey, I like you, you like me? No. Like, that didn't, that never happened. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with rejection because I wasn't really in my life until that point. I, 
I didn't get rejected. To this point, I still don't get rejected. I I was rejected, man. So I'm thinking he's going to say something else, an alternative idea, solution to something. He's like, okay, so we can pay for you to travel around China and Asia for a while, or we can pay for you to go home. Still not thinking about the prayer. Still not even thinking about my mama at the time, actually. Suddenly, my mom came back into my head like, oh, okay, I'll just go home because my mom's not well anyway. She's like, okay, bet. We'll, we'll, well, he didn't say bet, but like, okay, well, we'll take care of the ticket. Don't worry about anything. You can, your everything is taken care of. Don't worry about anything. And he, he, he was a man of his word. Like, I, 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 the money part was nothing. I had to do anything with that. They took care of everything. But after I calmed down from, not like I was upset, I wasn't upset, but after I calmed down from the sudden rejection, I started to just focus on my mom. Like, okay, something must really be wrong with my mom. And then later on, I just thought, wow, something is wrong with my mom because I said that prayer and the next morning I'm out of here basically. So I stayed another several days because there was some, if I'm not mistaken, it was around Easter time. Now, I don't celebrate Easter myself, but if you know anything about China, they a lot of the schools, they want to ex- explore American culture. So some a lot of the holidays, it really don't mean anything to the people here. Christmas, Thanksgiving, uh, Halloween, 4th of July, uh, Valentine's Day, uh Easter, it don't mean anything, but they do some of these holiday things because they just want their kids to explore how it is in the other country. They're not focusing on the religious aspect or none of that, which is is not bad meaning. It's just, okay, we want to see this is their culture and we want to do this too. So it was around Easter time. I remember that because like they had some kind of Easter uh, event and the and the kids wanted me to stay and see that. It wasn't so Easter thing. It just was saying it's Easter time. So I remember it was around Easter time when I left because, yeah, that, that <laughs> that's. <laughs> so my prayer really worked man cuz my prayer was so focused and so sincere and serious and and straightforward that the next morning and and i think all these things i'm talking about now if you pay attention to all of them it would tell you kind of why i think what i think currently i won't jump ahead to that cuz it's too extreme but you will begin to understand why I trust what's in my head. Remember that. Why This is why I trust what's in my head. Because that night I said the prayer, the next day, the morning, it wasn't even 24 hours later. It was like eight hours, seven hours, six hours later. I was te- technically out of there. And everything was paid for. I didn't even have to pay for my flight home. And, and uh, so... That happened. So I get back to America. I arrive in Michigan, which, and I haven't lived in Michigan for a long time, man. I left for college and I never looked back to, not Michigan, I never looked back to Detroit. I just just left and didn't look back because several reasons, but I won't get into those now. But I just left, man, and, and just didn't look back to it. And so I was forced back 
because my mom wasn't well. And so my mom, when I got to America, when I got to the hospital, I knew my mom would never leave the nursing home or the hospital again. It was the most crushing thing I ever experienced, man. Like seeing your mama and you know for sure next year your mama won't be alive. Like a calendar year from now, your mom would not be here anymore. Like soon as I saw my mom, no doctor, nobody had to tell me anything. As a matter of fact, as soon as I went in there, my mom was passed out, like almost like a coma. And she wasn't in a coma, but she was like knocked out. And my brother was sitting there, my sister was there. And I came in, I just sat on the sofa and I just was crying silently because I didn't want anybody to know I was crying. But I was crying, man. I think that's kind of a theme so far, me crying. But I don't cry that much, actually, you guys. So anyway, I was just crying silently, man. My mama came to him. My sister started asking her some questions. Oh, you're all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom was so foggy. She's like, who am I? You're, you're Jennifer. Who is that? That's Chris. Who is that over there? <laughs> That's Jonathan. How do you know? Because he's crying. But this is what was strange about that. I was silent. My mama didn't see me yet. I was sitting on the sofa. It's like a car. It was a, my mother had the whole room. It's a big, huge room. And there was a curtain kind of obstructing me from my sister, my brother, and my mom because I didn't want them to see me crying. I was sitting on this little sofa on the side of the wall. And so I didn't even say hi to my mom yet because she was passed out. And she just looked terrible. And I just went in there. So I didn't even say anything. So my mom got up and I was like, my sister was like, who is that over there? She's like, that's Jonathan. How do you know? Because he's crying. But she didn't even look in that direction. That was strange. That was really strange to me. My mother knew I was there, and I didn't even make my presence known myself. My sister didn't say anything. I think they were trying to surprise her, even. And she already knew I was there. When she came to, she was knocked out. And when she came to, she knew I was there. And she she really was knocked out. It wasn't like she just had her eyes closed and she can hear. She was knocked out, for sure. And so... Um, that was strange. But when I first saw my mom, I was like, I get it. I get it. I had to come back right now because I won't have my mom. My mom, this time next year, my mom would not be here. So me leaving China abruptly, even though I really liked the experience, I, I really loved the experience, actually. I wasn't sure if I would ever go back. Um, I wasn't sure about anything. Everything was up in the air. All I knew was... My mother wouldn't wouldn't be around another year. She just wouldn't be. I just knew it. And so I was really, even though this sounds sad, I was really thankful that whoever, whatever is listening to me, my gosh, once again, I get everything I want because if I had lost my mom without seeing my mom again from the last time I saw her, it's too much for me. It's, it, it would be too much for me, man. I could not I could not live comfortably knowing that I didn't see my mom before she passed away. It just it, the reason it happened that way because it was impossible. <laughs> it was impossible for me to be a functional human being. Like some people unfortunately lose their parents suddenly and something and all that. That was impossible for me. That was impossible for me. That is that is just the truth. It was impossible for me not to see my mom um 
again since the last time I saw her. It just it just it just couldn't be. It just couldn't be. So knowing my personality, knowing how much of a mama's boy I am, knowing how much I love my mom and everybody loves their mom, but I I just I just adore my mom and she's really my superhero. And so knowing that relationship, knowing I couldn't function with my mom leaving me and I am not there to see her, say goodbye, kiss her or something. Oh, I, man, I couldn't stomach that. So I really understood why that new lady came, why she was cold-blooded. Because all the other teachers there, all the other people there, they all were crying. And I have pictures to prove everything. They're all crying. The kids are crying. The teachers are crying. Everybody's crying. I even got those sunglasses in case they see me crying. <laughs> yeah, like everybody's crying because they don't want me to go. They just do not want me to go. And um, they had a whole event in the park just for me with a big, huge sign. Uh, thank you, JJ, and all these different things. Like all these parents, all these kids came to do all this stuff just for me. So, yeah, man, it was it was it was difficult to leave, especially with that reaction. Um, I mean, hundreds of people in a park just for me to say, please don't go or thanks for everything and hope to see you soon. And and all these different things, all these kids and people and teachers and everybody's crying for me. It just was like other teachers had left and they were like, "Okay, cool. Peace. But me, everybody's crying, like everybody. Like I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Everybody, man, it's just like everybody's got me holding their babies and their kids before I leave, and and I have all these pictures. Like it's just like I didn't understand. I still don't understand all of it, but I guess I can say I understand some of it now. But then I didn't. I'm like, okay. Okay, maybe they do this for everybody, but they don't. <laughs> they don't at all. So I guess my time was appreciated and was needed. And again, it goes back to Long Beach when I heard leave the country. I picked the right place where the right place chose me. And I went and I did exactly what my mom saw in me, which was teaching. And I took it seriously and I cared about these people. I didn't care about the things that, that people might look at, that they don't speak the language or Chinese or I'm of this and I didn't care about any of that. I wanted to deliver the truth as much as I could. I wanted to teach something of high quality. I wanted to do something really, really great. And I and I did that to the best of my ability with what I knew at the time. So going to America, going to Michigan to be with my mom, it was like, now I can deal with this differently. I'm I'm already delivering my mom something she always wanted me to do. That was teaching and I'm doing it and I'm actually really enjoying it even though I went all the way to China to do it. Um, and now I can just appreciate my mom in her last days. So I did my best to bring her my normal silliness, my normal jokes. Um, I drove her crazy with trying to give her some healthy food. And my big brother was like, man, will you shut the hell up and just give her these damn Vienna sausages she wants? <laughs> she ain't going to be here, man. Just give her what she wants. How about? How about means okay in Chinese. Like, okay. Uh, you're right. <laughs> Sometimes you got to just listen to your big brother. He knows better than you. So <laughs> I was trying to give her some. some <laughs> I was giving my mom some. She called it rabbit food. I was like, mom, check out this seaweed, man. This seaweed is good for you, mama. Come on. Like, I'm going to buy all this. <laughs> I'm already strange, right? But she like, this old strange Hollywood stuff. Like, man. 
So I'm getting there all this high quality, expensive, you know, high quality food. That's uh, that's uh, <laughs> I'm giving her all this high quality, expensive food, and you know, making sure that it's it's natural and all this different kind of stuff, man. She's like, man. Can you go give me some Vienna sausages? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> oh, man. But one thing she did, like, one thing she did, like, hummus. Like, she wasn't really on hummus like that. And I was like, Mama, you check out the hummus, man. It's delicious. Like, check this out. And she, she probably had had it before, but she wasn't on it like me. So she's eating the hummus, like, oh, okay, I can deal with this. But all your little seaweed, your little lettuce loaves, <laughs> how about you get out of here with that and <laughs> give me these damn Vienna sausages I want. So anyway, I brought up my normal silliness and all of that. But in between that, um, two things came up. When I was there, so many things were going on. I had to spend and pay for so much. So I spent so much money for so many things that were behind and need this and and helping out the whole family because this whole process was expensive for everybody. And so I was paying and taking care of everything as much as I can, at least. And <clears throat> um, I had a trip planned. And so I was like, OK, do I not go to this trip and just keep all the money and because the money's going by fast? even if you have savings, like money goes by fast. It takes a minute to keep it, get it. But it, even for the richest people in the world, it takes a minute to get it, but you can spend it fast and you can get it unless you really like Amazon dudes or something. So, you know, so all the money is going by fast and I'm like, okay, do I go or do I not go? So I asked my mom, I said, mom, I already scheduled this trip. I told her about ayahuasca, my mama, you know, she knows nothing about some strange stuff like that. But she didn't discourage me. My mom always knocked everything I say. Like, hey, mama, I want to play basketball. Nope. <laughs> I don't want you to do that. Mama, I want to go to L.A. and make movies. Nope. Like, everything, she would always knock it. But she didn't knock uh, me going to China. She didn't knock me going to Peru to do ayahuasca, which was so strange, man. So I had a, a, a trip scheduled. For, like I said, I came around April or something, March, April or something. And then I had already a trip planned, scheduled, paid for, for August. So I talked to her like, man, do you think I should go? What if something happened? And my mom was so supportive and she's never been that supportive. Not like my mom is not supportive. I don't mean to portray it like that. But just my mom is not like so... I'm more sensitive than my mom. My mom was like, nope. <laughs> like she would just tell you straight. Like, there's no no making it pretty, right? And so my mom was so great and so funny, man. So funny. But anyway, um, she was like, okay, yeah, just go. Don't worry about nothing. I'll be fine. So when she said that, she said it for real. She wasn't just saying that to make me feel good when I leave. you know. So she was like, no, just go. And so then I went to Peru. Oh, man. You talk about a podcast. I don't know if anybody would ever listen to me. But if somebody does, I think even though it might 
feel a little rattled as I'm saying it. I think that the person listening to this might appreciate it. And I'm talking to myself right now because I'm a little hard on myself about everything. And I'm like, who want to listen to this nonsense? But there's some real interesting stuff in this stuff, man. So I went to Peru. Just outside of Lima, about a hour flight um, uh, to Pacopa is where I went. And my first time going, my intention, because when you do ayahuasca, you need to have an intention. That's just real talk. <clears throat> my intention was to see God before without dying. To see God without dying. That was my intention. To see God without dying. What I meant by that is, I think when we face death, if we face death, because I believe everybody won't physically die. I just, I don't believe that. I think if he, if, if at the end everybody sees it, I don't think everybody's going to die. People say everybody would die. I don't believe that. But anyway, um, <clears throat> if I were one of the people who's lined up for death, which I hope I'm not, <laughs> Before I meet the father in the way that most people will meet him, possibly, maybe I'm not saying that the right way, but, you know, via <laughs> the upper room. <laughs> uh, before that, I just wanted to see for myself the in, in the flesh, in the face, like forget just the voice, forget what we hear, forget all the thinking and questioning and what about this? And what does it look like? What does he look like? Is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it earth? Is it this? Is it that? Does he exist? Is it fake? Is it all of the stuff that you hear from everybody around the whole spectrum from people who don't believe people who say they believe people. I, I just want to know for myself. I just want to see. I already know, but now I want to see for myself. So that was my intention. But based on the fact that my mom was not doing well, I did the one thing that I shouldn't have done. That's not really a mistake. And when I say I shouldn't have done it, it makes it sound too too bold. But I changed my intention to how to cope with my mother's passing, like how to keep my siblings strong. Because all of my siblings are not so sensitive like me. But at the same time, we all love our mama the same, just in different ways, right? So I'm not the oldest. I'm the second oldest. But still, I just want to be one of the stronger ones. And know something, how to deal with something I I loathe. I, I, I had fear of this since I literally lived in terror of losing my mother since middle school when she first started getting sick for real. Like, I remember she had sarcoidosis and, no, and nobody even knew what that was, right? So she had it. And then suddenly one of our neighbors, three, two doors down, one of our neighbors we grew up with, like, she's not our mama, but we love her just the same, almost, like, um, she got sarcoidosis, and shortly thereafter, I'm talking about less than a year, she passed away, and these people are in their 40s at the time, or something, oh, Miss Hightower passed away, man, it was like, first of all, all the kids love her on in the whole neighborhood just like just just cuz she's awesome and she's wonderful and beautiful and sweet and great but then i had an extra layer of panic because my mama was the first one with sarcoidosis and cuz 
when Miss Hightower got it, she would come to my mom's house, to our house, and ask my mom about for advice. Because my mom had been living with it for several years or more before her. When my friends lost their mama, it was like a piece of me was lost from a cent where standpoint where I became so terrified of losing my mom. Like it it never stopped until I actually lost my mom. Like almost okay, 365 days. Let's say 280 days, I would think about the possibility of losing my mama. It was that prevalent in my head. On top of everything, she was always getting ill and in hospitals and stuff. And and then more and more things came and a stroke, a heart attack and all these different things. And so there was reason for me to have that. And me being so sensitive towards my mom, man, I, man. So when I went to the jungle, I just wanted to know how to be strong for my siblings and for myself because I knew my mom would never go home again. I knew she would never set a foot in our house ever again. I knew this for sure. I was so 100% positive. When I got there, <clears throat> I had never done ayahuasca before. I'd never been in the jungle. I'd never been to Peru. I go there, man, and I'm a little nervous. You know, every place has its own different energy. And a place like Peru's, like, you know people might be looking to get you. So you got that in your head, like, man, is somebody going to try to get me, man? And I had to say, you know what? I heard this, so just trust it, man. Just don't think about all that stuff. I know you're going to a place where you don't even know where you are on the map. <clears throat> but just, just go. So I got over that part. Then I was thinking about the jungle itself. Like, I love nature. I'm one with nature. But at the same time, like, I know they have anaconda where we are and all these different kind of things. I'm like, man, is that going to be a problem for me? Yeah. <laughs> is something going to eat me? So you got that. You know, you got that thought. Get past that thought. Okay, now who are these people? And I'm doing something where... I know nothing about this type of thing. And I'm thinking all this stuff, man. I'm not scaring myself because I'm I'm there. I'm there. I'm gone. I've gone. I'm there. Let's just go ahead and skip ahead until like the day that I'm there. I arrive and I'm there and and the people are picking me up from the airport. I take this long 40 about about a 40 minute ride, 30 minute ride from the airport to the jungle where I'm going. Cause I would call that baby jungle. It's not jungle jungle. So 30, 40 minute ride. And it's bumpy, the road, there's no roads. It's just like boom, 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 boom. Red clay, red dirt. And we're in these little tuk-tuks, like these little box cart things that's not cars. And it's awesome. Like, it's so beautiful and it's so simple. Not so many people. Uh, it's very different. And I love Latin America. I love Latin people. I lo I lived in Mexico before. I, I just... Living in California, you meet so many people that's from all you know, all Spanish-speaking countries, man. And I just love that energy. I just, when I was in Mexico, even though it's not the same as Peru, I was basing it off of that. Like, 
you always hear the music, bunch, bunch, bunch. Like the the smell of the food, the the preparation of the food, that the Peruvian chicken. I think that's one of the best chicken tastes in the whole world. It was like when I got there, was so many things. I was just like, forget everything, including ayahuasca for a minute. I just appreciate being in Peru. Like the people are beautiful. Like it's just like so great. Like and these people are so kind. I'm like, man, okay. Just relax, man. Everything is cool. And so I go there and uh, I enter the jungle and the place is beautiful. It's like this this famous painter, well, Peruvian. He might be famous in the world, but he, he's not a famous, famous art, uh, artist. But he, he was a, a teacher of so many people painting a certain style of, uh, and forgive me, I'm forgetting so many terms because I've been learning Chinese, and I swear I forget everything else, man. But uh, but he teaches a certain kind of uh, style of painting. And <clears throat> this place um, used to be for that, but now it's turned into a place for ayahuasca. And like, there's this place called a maloca, and all these cabins and everything is just, ah, oh, like, as soon as you step in, it's like, all of the stress just just goes away. Like you don't hear the sound of cars. You, you all you see is natural things everywhere around you. Even the animals you see, it's like these animals are not trying to bother you whatsoever. It's monkeys jumping up. It's just like awesome. Like monarchs flying everywhere. It's just like man, this is life. Like this, this well. I already I'm used to the blue skies living in Michigan, but leaving you know China, going to Michigan for a short period and then going there, it's like the sky is my gosh blue, you know, and the beautiful cloud. Ah, man, it was just if I get nothing out of this, like just being here is great, man. So then the place, so the place looks great, and then the people are. We get to the gate and everybody's a little nervous. Like it's like about twenty people that go at once, right? Everybody's nervous. Like nobody had been there before. Nobody had done ayahuasca before, for the most part. All of us were new to it, for the most part. I, maybe it's one or two who has done it or something, but nobody really knew anything, and nobody knew these people. And but soon as we got there to the gate, Lee and Sylvie and Jill and all these great people, man, they're treating us so well, man, and it's so sincere. It's so sincere. It becomes the most spiritual place I've ever been in. Forget church. It The most spirit-filled church I've ever been in cannot compare to nothing. It was just this place. Like, I, I just could not believe the beautiful, natural, spiritual energy I felt. I felt calm. I didn't worry about anything. There was like, they have the internet and stuff, but it's like no cell phones. Nobody's online. Like all the food is natural. It's right there from, from the jungle. It's, it, there's no sugars, no salt. Like it's, it's like, what? And, and one thing I like, many of the people in that area are really, really poor. Now I'm not saying I like that people are poor. That's not my meaning. But oftentimes, when you're around people who have a lot, they expect a lot, and it takes a lot to keep people entertained or to feel like they're doing something of worth. 
But oftentimes, when you're in places where they don't have as much as what you're used to, you see a more happy, more simple type of way of living. And I remember seeing kids just playing with different like little worms and stuff with a stick as if it was the greatest thing in the world. And it is. And, and like these people, like they just have so little, some of them. And if you give them some shoes or some shirts or some socks or something, they're, ah, oh, it's just, it's so great to feel so great to give something to someone because they really need it. And if anybody really enjoys giving something, you will understand what I mean. Like giving something to somebody who they don't really need it, it's like, okay, cool, I'll give it to that person. But if you give even a shirt or some socks or something, some used shoes, but it's still good quality or anything, something you bought, a small toy, and you give it to these people and they're so appreciative, man. It's just a whole nother level of a feeling, man. So after getting there, immediately all of my worries just washed away. My mother, uh, all the stress of having my stuff taken in LA and uh, living in China, having to leave suddenly, not knowing what I'm going to do next, uh, not knowing what's going to happen with my mom, uh, money issues, because now suddenly I've given away so much money in a short period of time. You know, so many things are suddenly on me that wasn't on me before. But it all vanished, man, like like a bottle filled with water. And you just pour the water out at the door and you have nothing in the bottle. So I went into that space totally naked already from walking in, man. And and I got to give uh, Jill and her husband the credit for that because they create an environment. And the environment is honest. It's an honest, respectful environment. That's number one. So you don't even need ayahuasca or anything because just being a person living in the fast-paced cities and and all the smog and all of the poor quality food and all of the cars and the noise and the people and the hustle and the bustle and the worry and the stress, if you go to a place where you just eliminate that, automatically, hell, you're closer to whatever you're looking for just because you're not thinking about all the nonsense. So the set and setting really is important. It's really important because had I not had that feeling, maybe my experience would have been different, but it couldn't have been different because I did what I was supposed to do. And that was let everything go at the gate, man. And I really did. I mean, really did that. Like I just didn't worry anymore. So I, I started the ayahuasca journey by asking around people who's done it and looking for some different thoughts and this, that. But then I just stopped that even. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go into this. I've never done anything like it. It was the second night, which was the first ayahuasca. And just to let you guys know, to uh, uh, foreshadow something, I've done a total of 14 ceremonies now in my life. But at that point, this is my first one. I knew nothing. I was a little bit nervous because ayahuasca, it tastes terribly. Um, I don't think it's so terrible that you can't ingest it, of course, but it's it's not delicious. It's not something you can just drink easily. It has a strong, earthy 
filling. Ayahuasca is a vine, and then you have the chapulin plant, and you put the leaf in there, and you boil it down, boil it down, boil it down for several days, two, three, four days, and then what's left is the brew. And uh, <clears throat> that's the chacruna plant. That's what give you the visuals. And the ayahuasca is just, that's the mother right there. That's the one that's really getting inside of you and, and figuring out what it is you need to work on or see or learn or hear. So, so it's the night of the first ceremony. Um, I remember I was a little nervous. We all were, like I said, it's about 20 people. You're in a maloka and it's like a circular room. And in the center of the room is like a candle and sage and you sage the room. And then you have the shaman. And that one typically has two shaman, a husband and a wife. Uh, and so they're the ones who sing the Icaros. Icaros are like Negro spirituals, right? So it's like these spirit-filled songs, and they have one foot in reality and one foot in the spirit world with you because they take a little bit of the ayahuasca. But there's, they do this so much that they know how to uh, take the right amount where they're not totally into it for themselves, but they're there to connect with you, heal you, help you through the process. Then you have the facilitators who is there to help you because... A lot of times people, you know, they stand up, but they're a little shaky. They throw up. They need to go to the bathroom for number one. Number two, it's relatively dark in the space. Then people go outside and do uh, all kinds of things. Um, sometimes people get loud. Sometimes people get aggressive. It's all kinds of things. So the facilitators become like these angels in this process because... People are purging all kinds of things, man, and learning all kinds of things. And people come from all walks of life. And so you have people who have mean spirits inside of them. You have people who have angelic spirits inside of them. You have people who's confused. You have people who uh, don't understand the language. You got people who, it's all kinds of things. And so <clears throat> these facilitators, man, are so vital to making this process that I personally experienced feel so comforting. I don't really like to use names, even though I use some names in these episodes so far, but I have to use a name, several names, uh, Lee, Sylvie, and Jill. Jill never talked to me so much. I wanted her to. I felt a little left out sometimes. I was the only brother, and I, left, I felt a little left out at time, especially my first time there. But, even though she didn't talk to me, later she told me it's because she saw the most strength in me. But uh, I think this person is beautiful. And when I am say beautiful, I'm not on to my person look. I'm talking about something deeper than that. Because even though she's not old, she's, she's like my age or something. She's At the time, what is it, 30-something. So maybe she's a little older than me. She's probably in her 40s, but still young. And she's so wise and so calm and so gentle that she knows how to, I mean, she's made for what she's doing. Even though she's not native to ayahuasca, she's not native to Peru, she's not. But it's something about this person who, where she can carry this thing, where she's the bridge between the native people who really do 
ayahuasca and know that culture and people such as me who want to explore that culture and explore that process. She's the perfect person. And she's so excellent, man. She was so, even though we didn't talk so much, like I just really loved and love her spirit and energy. Like I just can't tell you how much she helped me without saying much to me at all. She helped me so much because she's the right, perfect person for me. Like everything she had laid out, everything she set up, the way that she had everything organized and so comforting, man, like that, especially a person such as me who don't even drink alcohol. Like it's just like, man, like I needed her so much. So they go around, they sage everybody, um, you know, that's taking the, the sage and uh, cleansing you head to toe um, they offer you mint to put on your hand in case you want to taste some of that after you take the taste the ayahuasca because it's not pleasing they offer you these uh, mapachos to what is it mapacho I think it is it's like these cigarettes but it's, it's no nicotine or nothing like that in there it also helps you cleanse but I just don't like smoke at all man so they offer you that and then um, they give the ayahuasca, the whole bottle, to the shaman. And they sing a brief ikaro into the, into the ayahuasca, asking for protection and, and guidance and everything. They're singing in Shipibo. That is a language spoken in Peru. Um, but it's, it's it kind of going out, you know, with younger people. They get so westernized and get so iPhone eyes and all that. So they start to lose some of their own culture and losing their own language and things. But um, some people still speak Shipibo, Shipibo people. And and so there's, they're singing these Icaros in a language that's not even just regular Spanish. You may not understand the language, but you understand the feeling so much and you totally understand what has been said. After that, uh, they go around one by one and uh, they talk to you briefly and say something such as, uh, have a great journey. And that lets you know you're getting ready to go someplace, man. <laughs> Somebody come to you and you sitting in the bed and they're like, have a great journey. Have a great journey. I'm not in the car player. I'm not in the airplane. Where am I going? <laughs> they letting you know without letting you know, son. You getting ready to do something right now. So have a great journey and give you a hug if you need it. Then they give you, it's like a shot glass, a shot glass filled with ayahuasca. And for the for the most part in the beginning, and they don't know you so well, they don't, it's always like not as much as you could handle start you off kind of light I didn't know that at the time so they started me off kind of light but my body even though I'm not a big drinker or something I can handle a lot and so I have a very strong body man so when I took mine it was not so much I think so people take the ayahuasca and uh, the, it, they turn, they blow out the candles. Now it's just like one 
small little candle in the middle of the room. So now it's darker. And people are starting to drink. Maybe 20 minutes into after you've drank your ayahuasca, the shaman starts singing there. I, I don't know the language, but it's these beautiful sounds. Like, it's just beautiful. But it's something about their voice, that frequency, that vibration, where people immediately start feeling it as soon as they start singing. So I remember my first time, soon as the shaman started singing, I heard, <laughs> people started throwing up around the room. People started going into their, into their thing. And me, I was still just normal. I was just aware. And, and it got to the point where I got a little bit disappointed even. Like I didn't have an expectation but I was like, this is it. This is what everybody's talking about. Nothing, nothing changed for me. There's there's nothing. Like there there's there's nothing. So people were going through their experience, and I remember this one guy, uh he was just talking so loud. Father. But he was talking about his real dad. This was a guy, he was preaching some kind of new religious stuff. He didn't believe in God in the way that people think about it. He was talking about something I never heard of. And he was really pompous about it. And so when he took it, I would never forget him. He was, man, they took him to the back. Like, So my point in bringing up these things, it was like I started getting uncomfortable because I'm like, what is happening to these people? First of all, nothing's happening to me. But what's all the people doing? Like it's, I'm, you're you're laying on your back. Like it's it's picture a circle, and each person has like a little, like soft, like cushion, like mattress type cushion, not so thick though, just a thin like pad cushion, almost like a yoga mat, but it's thicker than that. And so you land in your space, and you have like this little wooden thing where you can sit up, and it holds your back up. But basically, people are laying down in a circle like a clock. And like I said, it's about 20 people, 17 to 20 people only, as far as the people there. And that's not counting the the facilitators and the shaman. So you get about 25 people in there. So it starts to get rather noisy, man. And then some people are so uh, used to various things. Like it might not be ayahuasca, but they're used to being stoned or something. And so those people are more like, Okay, this is trippy, man. This is like you got the trippy guys. This is trippy, man. Yeah, let's go outside and 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 look at the stars, man. You you, you got that kind, and you got a wide variety. But my point is, it becomes relatively noisy for for a period. And I remember nothing had happened for me, and I was just laying there, and they. I remember Sylvie came by and said, hey, brother, you want another dose? And I was like, yeah, because she was like, yeah, I can tell you nothing is happening. So I took another dose. 
So I drink another a glass of ayahuasca. Once again, it's difficult to drink it. It's really difficult to drink it. But I don't purge. I don't I don't feel anything. I just lay down. And this is another brother, Lee. He came by and he put a stone in my hand. And this, I mean, this brother is lovely, man. So, so I'm laying there and nothing really is happening. Then suddenly I feel something is happening. What? It's no visuals at all. It's no visuals that you hear about. But it's something happening. And my stomach started to hurt. But not like something bad from ayahuasca you drank and your stomach hurt because you ate some bad food. Like it was like something is pointing to my stomach from the inside, showing me to look. And as I'm looking at my stomach, it's like I can see through, like like picture like a, a glass, like one of the snow globes, like a snow globe. And again, it's no visual, but just picture that where you can kind of see something. And so I saw that I had so much of my stress carried in my stomach area. And I remember like the shaman coming over to me, man. And he saw that I was struggling a little bit in my stomach area. I, I felt uncomfortable. And he was like, it was almost like the nose of a cow, right? It was like sucking in from one nostril and blowing out of the other one. Sucking in from my head, blowing out. And then he would stop and purge himself. And every time he purged, my stomach felt better. And he would suck in and blow out. And suck in and blow out. And then suddenly he'll feel and he'll throw up and I felt better. So... The whole night from the first night, I was just seeing like where my stress was carried. It wasn't anything glamorous. It wasn't anything like so far out. It was just like, that was the introduction for me. 